Welcome back to the Joe Pag Show. Really want to um, say thank you for coming back on to Kyle Serafin. He's an FBI whistleblower. He's a guy whose case is still out there. Hopefully the Department of, uh, I'm not the Department of Justice, they won't do anything, but hopefully the, the Oversight Committee and the Judiciary Committee in the House of Representatives, now run by Republicans, can do something for Kyle Serafin. Kyle, how are you? Good to see you again. I'm really good. It's uh, good to see you again, too, Jeff. You know, pleasure to have you back. So I want to get an update on your case in a second, but let's start with something that's still pressing in my mind. Uh, this guy, Teixeira, that was arrested the other, the other day, this 21-year-old guy, who I guess put some sort of um, uh, information documents that were classified up on Discord, which is an online sort of communication platform. And um, nobody but nobody in the media is talking about what was in the documents. They're all talking about how horrible it was that he leaked the documents. So what, what do you know about this case? So I haven't seen a lot of the documents. And honestly, uh, just based on my situation, I'm staying the heck away from them because I still... Uh, you know, don't want the FBI coming through my door because I'm looking at something, even if it's in the public sphere. And that's how nasty it is right now. But what we're seeing is a totally different uh, media presence than used to exist. There's no natural curiosity. There's no interest in exposing what this kid, you know, put out, which he was obviously sharing with his friend. Somebody else actually leaked it from the chat group, right? So why is that not the thing? Why are we defending the the state? Like I thought people used to celebrate this kind of stuff, the transparency and the the look behind the curtain when it comes to sort of um, you know government uh, shrouding all their secrets together. And instead, what we're seeing is, yeah, like you said, a bunch of people crying foul on a twenty one year old kid yeah. who I, I don't know how much time you've had around twenty one year old enlisted guys, but I spent a couple of years around them. and uh, you know, they do dumb things like, <laughs> have 18% interest rate on a used Ford Mustang. Right, and right, right. They make bad decisions like leaking national security secrets on chat groups. Right, and and um, I just want all these cases to be treated the same way. Um, they got this guy in like four days, whereas the leaker from the Supreme Court decision, the draft decision about Roe v. Wade, we still don't know who that is. And it's from a pool of about 20 people that work inside that building. So it's not like we couldn't find the leaker from the SCOTUS immediately if we wanted to, but it served the purposes of the left. It also served the purposes of the Biden administration to arrest somebody very, very quickly who leaked out secret documents that may or may not have been telling the truth about what's really happening in Ukraine. Um, it just seems to be a double standard. And as you said earlier, the media seems to give them cover no matter what it is. Either the media, the media named this guy before the FBI even did. Which is nuts to me that the New York Times had his name before he was even arrested, and we have no idea who leaked out the SCOTUS ruling. I mean, it's it's not equal justice, is it? No, not even close. I mean, and, and there's a direct pipeline out of DOJ directly into the New York Times, which we've seen, the Washington Post, same story. You know, they have a... If they want to share some information, then they share it, and they share it directly through those those particular outlets because they know they're sympathetic to their cause. They're going to take whatever they're spoon fed, and they're going to go out there and produce that story on it, and you know, smear this guy. Like I said, it, it looks good. The, the thing that I started thinking about is like, wh- what is the purpose? What is the what are these documents that uh, this kid put out there, right. and are they even legit? Because one of the things you can do when you're running operations is you can flush out certain things. You can, you know, let your enemy know certain things. They could be legit documents, but old and have, uh, you know, no more operational significance. And you can actually get approval to leak actually classified material. It's known as PAM or passage material. And so that's one of those tools that we have in the national security space, which is why everybody's always kind of doubting information. But you can use it as bona fides if you're trying to run double agent operations and things like that. So you can get into some really wild stuff once you start speculating like, how come we're not hearing about it? How come we're not hearing the impact that would have and, uh, and you know, what U.S. Uh, assets would be involved anyway in Ukraine? If it's just their, our, our intelligence reports on what they're up to, it's, 
you know, the Russians probably had that information too. FBI whistleblower Kyle Serafin, follow him at Kyle Serafin on all the social media sites. Um, can we not make the assumption that this was real information because they acted so quickly to, first of all, tell the media, please don't spread this around, and secondly, arrest him so fast? Can we not make that assumption? I think we have to at least question. I think we should question everything. Like, I'm a skeptic, right? I, yeah. That's that's what you do as an investigator. You go, what is the source of this information? What's the motivation that's coming out behind it? Um, why were the reactions the way that they were? So uh, I'm curious. They they threw a big spotlight on it right away. They put a freaking helicopter over this kid's house. Right. So that's as big a spotlight <laughs> as you can get. And then say, don't look at this. Don't look at this. You know, right. that's the Streisand effect, if I ever heard it, right. unless that's what they were aiming for. Well, um, it, right. It, it's like telling your kids, don't watch this TV show and they can't wait to watch it. Um, exactly. that, that's really what we're talking about. It's Kyle Serafin. So, Kyle, I'm going to say these things. You don't have to. I don't want to get you in trouble. But it appears as though the leaked documents suggest that we've got at least special operations going on inside of Ukraine. We're fighting alongside Ukraine. Ukraine is not doing as well as the media has been telling us and as the administration has been telling us. Um, if that's the case, that it's informing the public with these leaks, isn't this Edward Snowden all over again or Julian Assange? I mean, again, he's a 21-year-old kid. Who knows what he thought? Who knows why he did it? Who knows what these documents really say? But the allegations we're reporting is that this exposes the lies of the administration about what's actually going on in Ukraine. Is that not important? You would think. I mean, that is, that's the historical sort of position. Holding you know the, the powerful to account was sort of the, the reason that journalism – had any nobility in this country in the first place. That's what people thought they were going to do. It was essentially a blue collar chance to take a strike at the elites and hold them accountable for the things that they were doing. That they didn't want to share with the average everyday Joe. Right. And, uh, and, and now we're seeing this thing where they're actually covering for the elites. They're actually covering for whatever's going on there. You know, they're carrying water for an administration that essentially says we have no right to know what the truth is. And then, you know, once it's public, it's public. There's nothing you can do about it. That doesn't mean that U.S. service members or people who have a security clearance should be messing around with it. That's still, you know, they all have all their rules to, to right. abide by. But as a journalist, you should be digging into this all the time. That's that's what you Theoretically, that's what you do. Well, you know, I, in the past, journalists would have said, hey, we know who you are. Why don't you sit down with us and let's tell the world what it is that you found out. And then you do the interview and the guy gets arrested. At least we now know his side of the story. That's the way it used to be. It appears on this one that they did the detecting for the DOJ and then the DOJ went the next day and got the guy. Exactly right. Yeah, no, it's totally backwards. It's totally opposite. We're, we're upside down in so many ways in this country. This is not the only example of it, but it is a, a troubling example. It's the same thing that we saw in stuff like the Twitter files. I mean, this is just a, a, a right. multi-month rollout of where we usually would see private companies protecting the interests of their clients and their customers. We saw them basically surrendering it to the DOJ, to the FBI, to the other parts of the intelligence community as fast as possible to be part of the in-crowd. And so everybody wants to be part of the cool kids, but the cool kids is the government, which when I grew up, you know, is the opposite of that. Like th that's the least punk rock thing you can do is go cooperate with the government and be part of that team. Exactly. I mean, rage against the machine was, was the name of a group, to be honest right. with you. Um, so as we're watching it unfold, what do you think happens with this guy? Will he get his, his day in court? Will we never hear from him again? Is he going to go away for 50 years for treason or whatever else? But what do you think happens in a case like this? Because again, he's not Julian Assange. He's not, uh, he's not Snowden. He's not getting that sort of, well, they did tell us something we, we should have known. He's like, or what do know where he is no I, I expect that he will probably get the book thrown at him i mean he made a terrible decision one way or another that's not the route you go there are approved ways you can go and be a whistleblower but you can't bring classified information into the public without some intermediary you would have to bring it through probably an office of inspector general there'd have to be a whole process of of declassifying it so one of the things that my, my group has done is we've been very very careful 
about the things that we're doing. We're talking yeah. about malfeasance in policy. We're talking about unclassified information. You got to be really cautious about that. When you start exposing things like human intelligence and sources information and people that are units on the ground, you get people killed. Uh, this is the reason why right. I think that uh, Bradley Manning situation was so serious when it was and the possibility that you were exposing sources or the actual methods of collection, you know, th those setback U.S. assets that are trying to do the right thing, that are the good guys. Uh, so I think this guy's going to get the book thrown at him for being a moron. I mean, it's, it's really moronic type behavior. That's true. You know, he, he's not a hero, uh, even if the information ends up saving lives, which it might. I think it's incidental to what he was trying to do, which was, you know, clout chasing online with his buddies. Right. Kyle Serafin, go follow him over on Rumble. Follow him on all the social media sites. Uh, he's an FBI whistleblower. What is the proper um, course to take? Let's say he trips upon something that he thinks is vital that the American people know. What does he do? Does he contact a Congress member, a Judiciary Committee, the Oversight Committee? Does he con he can't contact somebody inside DOJ? Who do you trust? So what do you, what, what should you do? So there's some uh, inspector generals that are assigned to all the different agencies when you're in a federal agency. So you know the the inspector general for the DOD would be one route. But you're really in in kind of a you're kind of in a tight box when you are a A1C or a, you know an Airman Basic or an Airman in the Air Force. You're a very low ranking guy. Your ability to basically call it up the chain of command and let other people decide is kind of what you have to do based on time and grade and your experience is very minimal. You know, and then when you're talking about classified material, the route is very narrow. Otherwise, you could go to Congress, you could go to things like that, but not with classified material. You know, the first thing you do when you bring something up under uh, 5 U.S.C. 7211, which lets you go to Congress and petition them, they tell you no classified information because there's no easy way to get it to them. And not right. everybody is read in with a security clearance. So you, you do have a very narrow path and oftentimes nothing gets done. And, and maybe that's the frustration of being in that. But that wasn't this guy's frustration, it turns out. Like I said, he's scanning documents and sharing it with his buddies. That is a totally different animal than trying to be a legitimate whistleblower and, and calling something to the attention of the American people. It's uh, Kyle Serafin. Kyle, I appreciate you coming on. What's the latest on your case? Have you heard from Jim Jordan? Have you heard from his, his, uh, his, his people in his committee? Have you heard? Well, what's the, has any step been taken in the past few months since we've spoken? Uh, not on my end. I have uh, given them some additional disclosures. I brought some stuff forward to uh, the people in his office, and they've been receptive, and they've acknowledged receipt of information that we've passed along. Uh, but as far as getting back to me and telling me something, you know, it hasn't been there. It does sound like some of my buddies are going to get a chance to have their day in the open public setting in front of uh, the Weaponization Committee. So they've, they're coming up at the end of the month here. I think on the 28th, they're supposed to be testifying. So we'll hear people like Garrett O'Boyle. We'll hear Steve Friend again and uh, possibly George Hill, although – you know, he's kind of following my situation, too, and he, he looks at it and goes, if I'm under oath, but the Democrat, you know, representatives are not under oath and they're willing to ask slanderous sort of questions and they're willing to lie about Good certain point. things that yeah. are not facts, what benefit does it have to anybody other than it's just showmanship? I'm with you, but the truth needs to come out. And the fact that you guys are still suspended, you're still suspended, no pay. You're not really sure, you know, what, what the future is of this case. Um, and and so, to, Yeah, so I'm done now. Oh, are you are you done? You're actually well, out? Out? Yeah, they started kind of threatening me. They sent me a, a really threatening letter that said that uh, they were going to ch you know, charge me with some felonies that were sort of made up and then some uh, miscellaneous misdemeanors, in including uh, using the FBI seal to promote my personal podcast, which I thought was a really rich claim as a misdemeanor. Uh, but they Come basically on. went out there and... You know, that's public information. It's a public uh, logo. <laughs> I can put the logo behind me. Yeah, it, 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 it doesn't mean anything. That, so so sure. they wanted to shut you up. And, and at that point, did you quit? Did they say, let's sever ties? How does that go? So I consulted with my attorney, and we just had this basic discussion. He goes, look, there's no upside for you waiting for them to either kick in your door or fire you and send you termination paperwork, which they proposed doing, by the way. They proposed termination. Um but anybody who's realistic, actually, this is the uh, the one year anniversary of my badge and my gun being taken. It was wow. one year ago on April 18th 
of 22. And then they stopped paying me in June. So 10 months without pay and a year without a badge and a gun and any authority. And I have it on papers that I'm not allowed to call myself an FBI employee. I don't know what else you call that, but I, I just acknowledge that they broke up with me. I actually put it out on my podcast. I put it out on Twitter at this point too, and just right. said, look, uh, you broke up with me, but I'll tell you first, cause it makes you feel good. I break up with you too. I don't, I don't work there anymore. I don't know how else you want me to say it. So I'm done with the FBI. I'm fine with that. There may be no recourse, but uh, end of the day, the recourse is, is letting people know what's going on. Yeah, that's my that's sort of my version of uh, yeah. of getting a little bit of justice. And you've done a, you've done a great job with that. Check out his podcast. It's over on Rumble, right? People can just go to your page on Rumble. Yeah, that's right. Any of the audio places you you look to, you know, Good. Apple, Spotify, all that. People should go and check that out. It's Kyle Serafin. Go and follow him everywhere. Uh, let me ask you about something that you told me about right before we started. One of my bigger stations, one of my early adopters of the Joe Pag Show, is in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, Eleven thirty a.m. It's the Twin Cities News Talk. Um, it's a great station. There are great people who live in that area. They have been under siege since um, May of 2020 when George Floyd was killed on the side of the road. And again, you and I can probably have a very deep discussion about the, le- the, the levels of fentanyl in his body, how he was acting, the laws he was breaking, why were two other black um, passengers in the car not touched. So this being a race thing really doesn't hold water for me because I know facts. But you told me something before we started today that I had no clue about. Please fill in my audience about what you told me about an autonomous zone that I had no idea was even happening there. Yeah, so there's a uh, an open-air drug market and an autonomous zone that is a, essentially a no-go ra- uh, area for local law enforcement. And it's, EMS is able to go in and pull out o- overdoses and, and move them out. And that's kind of the only contact they have with the uh, the local law enforcement and, and government agencies at this point. Uh, it's being run by an organized crime group, which is a, um, a, a national affiliate of a, of a street gang. And so rather than give away, you know, much about what's going on there, right. case wise, people, people who are in the area know people tell me that this is an ongoing thing. It's in, uh, you know, St. George Square, St. George of Fentanyl has a, uh, a square named after him there on 38th. And I believe it's Chicago. Right. And so this area is not permissible. There's still barricades up there. You can see it on Google Earth. If you look, it shows that this thing is blocked off. There are signs saying you can't come in if you're, you know, under certain uh, under certain circumstances. And there was a DOJ case. There's an ongoing FBI investigation, as you can imagine, that trying to bring down this thing. They were using the tool that was built for organized crime, which is the RICO statute. That's uh, 18 USC. I think it's 1962. Allowed them to go after organized crime for racketeering and uh doj maine stopped it in its tracks like put it down cold even though the uh the bureau and the local prosecutors the assistant u.s attorney's office there is ready to move forward because they want to try to liberate this area because this is a piece of america that is not under american control or at least under local law enforcement's ability to police that's crazy stuff kyle i'm, I'm confused how that's possible um i've seen police uh, organizations that have mraps uh, I, I've seen, you know, the National Guard can come in, uh, 10,000 of them come and clean that area up in about two seconds. What exactly, what exactly would the DOJ's reason be for not upholding the law and making it a safe area for all residents of Minnesota? I'm not sure I understand. Well, it's certainly confusing. I, I have to believe that they have gone from this position where we used to consider, you know, DOJ, FBI used to consider the political ramifications of a case, and then you just handled it more sensitively. Now they are out and out not pursuing certain cases based on political ramifications. And I think there's other examples as well. We've seen stuff like this on the FACE Act. You know, you don't see anybody from Jane's Revenge getting paraded around the same way they did to Mark Hout. Right. You don't see people going after leftist organizations like BLM and, and you know, grabbing them under RICO statutes, which they certainly could do. Yes. But you see a huge rollout and, um, you know, the biggest case the FBI's ever done on the January 6th defendants. So it's it's not even justice. It's it's two tiered at this point. It's not even really two tiered. It's just straight hypocrisy. They are they are literally picking winners and losers when the government should have 
zero interest in who wins and loses. Supposed to be blind. Justice should be blind. So if I'm getting you right, next month it'll be three years since they've owned this area of Minneapolis? That's my understanding. They, they kind of moved in, set this thing up, and then everyone just forgot about it. You know, most of us moved on from 2020 when the, the, the riots were happening. Uh, we saw it happen through the year, and then things kind of changed off. Then the tune has switched over to the January 6th uh, so-called insurrection, yeah, you know, as of right. 2021. Most of us have kind of gone on about our lives, and I, there's always areas that are rough in every, you know, deep urban area. There's no question about that. If you go to Southeast D.C., there's places that you don't want to go. There's parts of West Baltimore that are tough. Yeah. But it's having, like, someone actually declare an autonomy autonomous zone and and so-called no-go for law enforcement is kind of wild. I, I I used to work in the so-called no-go zones. That was what that's what undercover surveillance used to do. And uh and the, and the goal is just to make that stop being a no-go zone. You're trying to actually eliminate that hold that organized crime has on the, the poor people that happen to live there. And uh, it just seems like everyone's trying to do their part, but uh, DOJ Maine or what we call Maine Justice is right. just pushing back and not letting it happen because they've got to get the people praying at abortion clinics. That's true. Um, uh, Kyle, it's nuts. It's upside down. Hopefully you speaking out, Steve, other people speaking out, people continuing to, to blow the whistle about the weaponization of the DOJ is going to get a good result eventually. And I'm sure it will because your voice is so strong. Thanks for coming back on today. Always my pleasure. I appreciate it. Jim. Hi brother. We appreciate you. We're back after this. Stay right here. This is the Joe Pag Show. I great to have you. Thanks. Kyle Serafin will be up and running on Rumble later on tonight. I'll put him up there along with Matt Whitaker. So you can always check out my interviews by going to JoePags.com. Click on Watch. Let's do some pop culture. Boop. Dirty pop. What's happening, Polo? So this one's kind of interesting. Uh, the Menendez brothers and Menudo have an interesting connection, or so they will soon. There's going to be a docu-series released on Peacock where one of the members, uh, his name is Roy Rossello, I think that's okay. his name, claims that he was sexually assaulted by the Menendez brothers' father. Oh, man. Yeah. They say they did what they did because he was abusive. Right. All right, bro. Appreciate you. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Carrie. I'm Joe. We'll see you tomorrow night. Have a good night. This is the Joe Pegg Show.